Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is 9 a.m. on the East Coast, but it's 2 a.m. somewhere. Yes, my name is Mr. 2 a.m. I'm Brian Anthony Davis from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. The face you see alongside me is a face that I'm seeing for the first time, although I've talked to him about 25 times in the last four months. It's Kevin Smith. You might know him as Cliff Harris is a punk as well on BTSC. He is our coach extraordinaire. He's our X's and O's guy. Kevin, I'm so glad to have you on the show with me. Brian, how are you, man? Steelers fans, what's happening? <laughs> it's so great to see you and talk to you. And I got to tell you, the great thing about this, having you on this show, you do X's and O's for us all the time. And this is a little different because this is more about memories. And when I thought about having guests on the show, because we're going to start rotating, having guests each and every week from BTSC, what I was thinking of is guys like me that have been through a lot of AFC championship games since it is AFC championship weekend. And when you, when I first heard of you, you were Cliff Harris is, is still a punk. And that shows how much you look back into the history and of the Steelers and from that game, Super Bowl 10. That's awesome. So I knew you would have some great stories and great memories of the Steelers fighting to get into the Super Bowl, which they have done once again, 16 times and they've won eight of them. So that's absolutely phenomenal. And that's all been since 1972. Kevin, before we get into that, I just want to ask you real quick, a what does AFC Championship Weekend mean to you, whether or not the Steelers are into it? Uh, I'll be honest. I think for me, I got more nervous about AFC Championship games than I did about Super Bowls because getting to the Super Bowl – is you know your season's a success if you get to the Super Bowl, no question about that. Uh, you're so close, like the AFC Championship is just like you know that final step to get there. And once you get there, of course you want to win it, of course. But it's, but but being in the Super Bowl is in and of itself a unique accomplishment. It doesn't happen, you know, very often. Like you said, 16 AFC Championship uh, games, eight Super Bowl trips. So to win to get into the Super Bowl. Uh, is just in and of itself a unique and really really exciting thing. So so and plus you know you got you got bragging rights over your boys who aren't Steelers fans. I mean I grew up in I live in Eagles country, and so you know the Eagles are a uh, tortured fan base to say the least. And and to be able to say the Steelers are in the Super Bowl has always been a big thing for me. And even if somebody you know breaks your stones about them not winning or whatever. Uh, you, you know, you got there. So I was always really nervous on AFC Championship Day because getting to the Super Bowl meant so much to me. And as Steeler fans, we have been blessed and spoiled to have seen the Pittsburgh Steelers play in every single decade since their first AFC Championship appearance. Um, I When do you remember your first AFC Championship game, Kevin? So the, so the first football game I ever really remember watching was Super Bowl X. And that's really where the Cliff Harris screen name came from. You know, the indelible moment of Lambert throwing Cliff Harris to the, to the ground. And that, sort of, that made me a Steelers fan for life, that game. So I remember then, of course, like, you know, watching them religiously. And every time the Steelers were on, I, you know, I had to be in front of the TV. Um, and you didn't get to see them every week where I, I grew up in South Jersey. So again, you know, this is the, this is the 1970s, 1980s, uh, even into the early two thousands where it's basically like 
whatever the, the network is putting on TV in your region, that's it. There's no, you know, there's no live stream. There's no NFL ticket. There's no, none of that stuff. So, so for the Steelers to be on was a big deal for me. So I remember the next year when they went out to Oakland in the AFC championship game without Franco Harris, without Rocky Blyer, uh, banged up probably maybe what now I, I didn't realize it at the time but now when you look back might have been the best of all those 70s teams that defense in 76 was just unbelievable but I mean I was a little kid I was like six or seven years old I didn't have any idea I just knew that I was a Steelers fan and they lost to the Raiders Kenny Stabler and uh and that you know that band of uh of Raiders, my dad used to be like, "There are a bunch of felons." He hated Jack Tatum and George Atkinson. And <laughs> hey, guys. Chuck Noll yeah. called him the criminal element. <laughs> yeah, and I remember them losing that game, and I just remember crying, crying, and crying. You know, and and uh, having to, you know, just sort of like come to terms with like the first football game I ever remember. The Steelers won the Super Bowl, so you just figured as a little kid, that's what happens. The Steelers win the Super Bowl, and then all of a sudden they lose that AFC Championship game. It's like, oh wait a minute, that's not what happens all the time. Was your dad a Steelers fan? Oh, no. My father uh, was a Cleveland Browns fan. Uh, That's and, right. Yes, and is currently a Baltimore Ravens fan. He pulled the plug on the Browns when they when they left Cleveland. Wow. And uh, and now, you know, is a Ravens fan. So let's just say that we don't get together on Sundays to watch uh, Steelers games. So you're John Banaszak then? I'm John Banaszak? Yeah, you're John Banaszak. Have you ever heard that story? No. John Banaszak signed as a free agent, an undrafted free agent with the Steelers in 1976. And he called up his dad and his parents. And his dad, who was a diehard Cleveland Browns fan, was like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> he was disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Like, why didn't you go to the Browns? He was really disappointed. Then Banaszak's dad became the biggest fan of the Steelers. Um when when uh, his son John number seventy six was on the team, so uh, I just thought that was that was really neat. Uh, and we have another we have a current Steeler that has a diehard Browns fan. Justin Lane's dad is a, a diehard Cleveland fan as well. He had a Browns bathroom and they converted it into a black and gold bathroom. So <laughs> there's a little that's a neat little connection there. So there you go, you have the Banazak connection now that you never knew. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah. I have a Banazak connection too, just for the fact that, uh, well, I, I had friends that went to WNJ when he was coaching there, but also, uh, I, my first number when I played peewee football was 76. Okay. I was like, I'm, I'm Banazak. Yeah. <laughs> and Banazak was paramount in a lot of those Super Bowls. Well, 13 and 14, he was a very big player in those games and those AFC championship games. You know, usually on the show, we talk about, the current week for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It has been a crazy week. Everybody has talked about it uh, ad nauseum, but the main highlights this week before we get into the AFC Championship game, Dwayne Haskins is a Pittsburgh Steeler. He is not the replacement for Ben Roethlisberger. He's a guy that you throw him to the wall, see if he sticks. If he does, awesome. You have a gem because people don't realize he's a futures contract. You remember the last huge futures contract that the Pittsburgh Steelers signed and nobody knew who he was and it ended up being awesome. He's a guy that stuck. Mike Hilton. Yes, okay, Mike Hilton, right. So Hilton was a, in December of 2016, he, towards the end of the season, he was on the practice squad. 
He was originally drafted by Jacksonville, ended up with uh, in camp with New England. And he was the guy opposite Senquez Golson, who they took in 2015. The Steelers did as their second round draft pick. He was the guy on the other side, the other corner. He's the guy that stuck. Senquez never even played a preseason game. I could talk a whole lot about that. Jeff Hartman, Dave Schofield, and I debate about what kind of pick he actually was. Because they say he was a bust. Well, I'm like, you never play. You can't be a bust. But I digress. <laughs> the bust, the pick might have been a bust. But I like to get into all of that. Um, so Dwayne Haskins is here. Real quick, what does this signing mean to you? I, I mean, I, I'm i doing a film room on him right now. And when I look at the film, I just see like a guy who's unpolished and not ready to be a starter who got thrown to the Wolves in Washington. I mean, they they put him in a position. They put him in, in, in a position. A position to fail which is you know like the last thing you ever want to do to a player and he, now um, it's not all on them i mean dwayne haskins clearly didn't do the right things and you read all the stories about poor work ethic and not not being a great teammate and uh those things so he certainly played a part in his own failure there but um they they did they set him up to fail in many regards i mean you, the guy just was not ready the coaching staff didn't want to put him on the field from what you read, Dan Snyder, you know, wanted to create a buzz about his quarterback. He thought it would, it would be uh, good for for the team for uh, merchandise and attendance, and you know, get to get the the first round draft pick on the field ASAP. And uh, it, I think it was really detrimental to his development. So you know, you get him into Pittsburgh and get him in a good system. I think you know, it's it, it seems like Matt Canada is going to become the OC, and uh, his system. Uh, I think it'll be good for a guy like Haskins. And then you let him sit for a little bit and develop and it might work out, you know I mean? And, and if it doesn't, it doesn't cost you a whole lot. Speaking of Canada, most likely being the AC because of the OC, excuse me, because of the Rooney role, they had to go ahead and look at a couple more coaches. They only had to look at one. They looked at two more coaches for that post, which was very beneficial as far as I'm concerned, because there's a possibility that you can get another assistant coach out of this deal by looking at more of these coaches like a Hugh Jackson. Pep Hamilton was in the mix. He's no longer in the mix because he's now the new offensive coordinator at Detroit. Congratulations to him. I would have loved to have seen Pep come in. The problem is Pep might have not been able to come in as the quarterback's coach because it's a lateral move. That's what he's do what he was previously doing in Los Angeles for the Chargers. So no matter how you slice it, whether it's Canada as the OC or Hugh Jackson as the OC, this is a great embarrassment of riches for the Steelers if they can have both of these guys. Yeah, I mean Hugh Jackson, people remember because he, he didn't succeed as a head coach in Cleveland and they probably watched a little bit of hard knocks and or there's at times in hard knocks where, you know, he, he didn't seem like he was uh, assertive enough or there's that famous scene where Todd Haley's kind of ripping the culture and seems to be indirectly taking shots at, at Hugh Jackson. And so I think people sometimes they hear that might hear that name and be soured by it, but you got to remember, man, he was a really good offensive coordinator and has an excellent reputation as a position coach. And I'm a big fan of, uh, of putting uh, former head coaches on your coaching staff. Because so long as you can handle the personalities and so long as, you know, it's not like a, a situation where you have, you know, too many uh, chefs in the kitchen, as long as uh, everybody knows their role and is able to do their role well, 
then uh, I think that the experience that they bring, the perspective that they bring, and, and just sort of a, a greater sense of like kind of gravitas, you know, knowing that you've got a, a guy who was a former NFL head coach in the coaching room, I think that that's excellent. And, uh, you know, the Steelers need to, you know, upgrade their coaching staff, no doubt. And I would be, I would not be uh, objected. I would not object to that move at all. All right. So I have a correction on here. Dave Schofield, the Oracle. Thank you so much, Dave, for mentioning that. I knew this and I messed this whole thing up. Anthony Lynn, who was the head coach of the Chargers, he is the new offensive coordinator in Detroit. And he's the guy who I wanted in Pittsburgh from the beginning. Uh, Pep is still interviewing with them. So he might possibly go there as an offensive court assistant offensive coordinator or a quarterbacks coach, something like that. So Dave, thanks for pointing that out to us. Um, there is still, I mean, you never know what's going to happen here, but you would think that uh, if Detroit could find room for Pep somewhere, that that might be a possibility. So scratch what I said about Pep being the new offensive coordinator. I need to go change my article <laughs> for Factor Fiction too, because I put that in last night thinking I was going to sound all smart and I made a mistake. So thanks again, Dave, for uh, letting me know that. And uh, with Pep still interviewing, that'll be interesting. But the real, the big thing that we're talking about here is the AFC Championship games. We've got two great matchups. Jeff Hartman says this. He's like, any way you slice it, this is going to be a fantastic Super Bowl. And I think for the first time, this is a Final Four that I really believe that will be a great game any way you go. The only game that I don't want to see because this is just my thing, this is my BAD thing, I hate repeats in Super Bowls, even though this would be a repeat from the 1966 season. I just don't want Green Bay and Kansas City, although I feel that would be the best matchup. I just like to see two different helmets on the screen. Yeah, I mean, uh, they will be great games. I'm pulling for the Bills. Uh, I just feel like that's a fan base that has paid its dues and then some. Uh, and I remember, you know, very, very clearly, if we're talking about AFC Championship games, I remember very, very clearly the run that they had in the early 90s when they, uh, you know, went four straight Super Bowls and were never able to win. Can you imagine as a Steelers fan if the Steelers made it to four straight Super Bowls and were never able to, to win one of them? I mean, that you that would just put the torture in torture, man. I, I just uh, – so uh, Buffalo would just feel – I just feel like, you know, that, that they – they deserve it, you know, and, and uh, I'm going to pull hard for them. Okay, so this is my what-if game that I do a lot. Say the Steelers won. They beat, they come back and beat Cleveland, and somehow they beat Buffalo, and they're in this AFC championship game. Look, live chat, I know they're not. I know they're not, and so somebody's going to come in and say, well, they couldn't even beat Cleveland. What are you talking about? Look, this is – with my show, I like to think outside of the box, so I'm, I'm going to ask you. If Pittsburgh was in this game in Kansas City today, what would have this game looked like? Um, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, right? That's that's a that's a, he's a problem. He's a problem for everybody. And I know that the Steelers have done fairly well against high-profile quarterbacks and guys that move out of the pocket and 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 things like that. And I know that Mahomes is is dinged up and. Uh, you know, was was out of the game last week and cleared the concussion protocol, but he's a problem, and he's a problem because of two reasons. One, he's phenomenally gifted and talented, and two, um, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy are doing a phenomenal job with that offense of just sort of 
finding ways to uh, constantly attack a defense in, in with new formations, new personnel groups, new pre-snap movements. I mean, they seem to do things every week that you just haven't seen from them before. And they're doing, uh, you know, they're kind of uh, putting new looks on on old concepts constantly, and they're really hard to prepare for. So, you know, if if the Steelers had been in this matchup at Kansas City, let's just say uh, they'd have their hands full. You know, I really think that this is a, a an extremely talented Kansas City team. You got to outscore them. You know, that's why I think Buffalo's got a shot. Uh, and I just don't know if the Steelers would be able to generate enough points. To, to hang with, with this Kansas City team. I don't think they would either. That So that would have been the uh, the uh, would have, could have, Dave says, and it's going to have the Oracle. You know, I love when Dave comes in here too. It would have been Steelers versus Ratbirds because they would have beat KC if Mahomes still goes down. That's interesting too. Yeah, ifs and nuts and ifs and buts and candies and nuts, you know, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. We did, so we're looking towards 2021. That's a side. Let's jump in that DeLorean. Let's go back in time to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC Championship game. Like we talked about, the Steelers are 8-8 eight and eight in the AFC Championship games. Now, a lot of those wins, we know that four of those wins happened in the 1970s. I was cognizant for most of them. Um, the early ones I have not uh, had a chance to watch um, live, but I saw them because we do the retro show. I go back and watch this. I have not watched the 24 to seven loss to the Oakland Raiders that you mentioned earlier. I'm actually going to watch that, try to examine what went right, what went wrong. I have been to three AFC championship games as a fan. Let's see two of them in Heinz field, one in three rivers stadium, and my friends will never let me go again because I'm 0-3 in AFC Championship games. However, the year I decided to stop going is the year they they finally got in um, and won a Super Bowl. So you've been to an AFC Championship game, and it was one of elation, I'm sure. Let's talk about that game first. Yeah. So, right, I was at the uh, AFC Championship game uh, at, in the after the 95 season when uh, the Steelers beat the Colts to get to the Super Bowl uh, where they played Dallas. And, you know, I remember two things about that game. One, I mean, it was freezing. I mean, I just remember being – it was cold, man. Um, and, you know, Three Rivers Stadium, that was back at old Three Rivers, you know, and it was that old concrete bowl that they had, uh, you know, that was the design for stadiums in the 70s. Yep. And it, it held the noise, but it, it seemed to hold the cold for whatever reason. I don't know why that was. Uh, well, the place was freezing. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember, I don't know, I don't remember a ton of details about the game other than a couple things. One, coming off of the, what for me is maybe the, the worst, other than the two Super Bowl losses, the, the worst loss that I can remember as a Steeler fan, which was the 94 AFC Championship game against oh. San Diego, which is crushing. And you talk to any Steeler fan who was old enough to remember it, and it was just crushing. Because we were all convinced that, that the Steelers were going to the Super Bowl. It had been uh, 15 years, you know, since the, the last appearance, and 
you know, for me, those 15 years were my high school years and my college years, which is like when you're a fan, those are the prime years of where you're just so in emotionally invested. Me too. And yeah. So for the so then so it took a long time to get over that 94 loss, but then they get back in 95 uh, and they're playing another underdog team, the Colts. The Colts had upset the Chiefs on the road, so we we got a you know we got them at home. Harbaugh was their quarterback, and there's nothing more annoying than a Harbaugh. Uh, and you know, <laughs> say, say it right, a Wang Harbs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and. Um, and it came down to the last play, man. It came down to the last play. And I just remember, you know, they threw that sort of – it wasn't even really a Hail Mary because they were actually at around the 30-yard line or so. And what's crazy is that in those old stadiums, those bowls held the noise, man. It was so loud in Three Rivers, so much louder than it, than it gets at Heinz Field. And uh, the, 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 the noise would reverberate. It would feel like things were shaking. And when that passed – I distinctly remember this. When that pass went up in the air, that stadium got dead silent. You know, that ball just sort of hung up in the air for it seemed like an eternity of dead silence. And when it came down, there was a moment where, like, it kind of looked like one of the Colts receivers caught the ball. And then finally you saw the incomplete signal. And it wasn't even elation at that point. It was just, like, relief. I remember just, like, my buddies and I, like, just kind of, like, hugging each other. And being exhausted and being like, let's go get a beer and uh, and collapse somewhere, you know. <laughs> I I remember that game well too because I did not go to that game, but I was at a friend's house. I was actually at a Dallas Cowboy fan's house who wanted me to come to the Super Bowl the next week or two weeks later, and I would not go because I wasn't going to go to the game. I stayed home by myself to watch that game. I was invited to a couple parties that year, and I was like, nope, I'm staying home. I want to absorb this and enjoy it. I will have Super Bowl parties now, um, but the rule now is anybody is allowed in my house. It could be an AFC championship game. If you're a Baltimore fan, you can come to my house. But if it's a Super Bowl, Steeler fans only. That's for the Super Bowl party. Now, I had one game, which I believe it was uh, it was Denver and Carolina back in 2015, um, the 2015 season. I had 46 people in my house, <laughs> all huddled in there trying to watch that game, um, sitting watch everywhere. Terrible game. That, that game was like the Steelers yeah. playoff game, man. You know, like that game was over, boom. You know? Well, I mean, it, it looked like it looked like the desert in uh, in the second half. <laughs> it really did, but I've had so many people there. So I went to this, this uh, guy's house and I was living in West Virginia at the time. And you cannot buy, you can buy alcohol on, you can buy alcohol on Sundays, but it was after one o'clock and it had to be at the soup at the supermarket. So my, uh, my one friend wanted to get champagne. He was, he was a season ticket holder. He wanted to get champagne. He wasn't at the game either. So, what we did was we got champagne and just in case, and I was like, we're going to miss the first 10 minutes of the game. And we did, but uh, he insisted on doing it. So we had the champagne there. And like you said, when that ball hung up in the air, it felt like an eternity. And there were so many spots in that game as well where it just looked like they were losing. I mean, there was an interception late for, for uh, Indianapolis, and it looked like they were going to 
you know, have that game in hand. Then Neil throws a perfect ball down the sidelines to Ernie Mills. Yep. That's a question for you. That Ernie Mills ball, 45 yards, I believe, in the air. Is that a catch in today's NFL? You know, there's a couple of those uh, of those games in the AFC Championships where you look at that and you say, hmm, how, how would that all played out? I mean, you know, Houston Oilers slash Tennessee Titans fans are still bitter about the Mike Renfro non-touchdown. You know, in that, that, that might have been 1980, I think. The, uh, it was. And I'll tell you, let me do a plug real quick. Tony yeah. and I recorded a retro show yesterday. It is, uh, it is premiering. It premiered this morning at 5 a.m. of that exact game. And we go, uh, we extensively look at that Renfro catch and what it really meant. And a lot of people don't realize that that final score was 27 to 13. And, you know, Pastorini said that, you know, it wouldn't have mattered anyways. Um, that wasn't the reason we lost. The uh, They still got three points out of that drive, too. That just would have made the score 17-17. to 17. But Tony brought up a good point that the Steelers of that era, they would have not. They would have not surrendered. Uh, a tie would have been nothing for them. They would have broken wide open. And they got the ball back twice, scored two touchdowns on them, and, I mean, scored 10 more points. The rest was history. Yeah. I don't know about you, but uh, when I think about like Steelers rivals, when I was younger, uh, you know, I hated the Raiders because yeah, yeah, yeah I hated the Cowboys. Uh, as I got older, you know, like as, as immature, you don't like harbor as much uh, like hate for these opponents. You, you dislike them, whatever. But uh, but I never hated the Oilers because I loved Earl Campbell. I mean, Earl Campbell. There was something so deeply satisfying as a kid of watching Earl Campbell run through grown men, like me trampling through my seven-year-old and his friends, you know, like uh, that just, how could you not love it? If you were a Steelers fan and I mean, you grew up on physical football, my buddies and I played a game. We had, there was this bank in our neighborhood at the corner and they had like a, like a hedged in little grassy area at the bank. And the, the hedged in grassy area could not have been more than like 10 yards by 10 yards. And when the bank would close, we'd go over there and we'd climb through the hedges. And we would play a game we called Steel Curtain. And Steel Curtain was, you know, five guys on five or however many guys we had. And you had to run the football. There were no passes. You had to run the ball. And the, and the end zone was the hedge. And so, like, you... you <laughs> that sounds awesome and brutal. We just <laughs> killed each other. We would pad up, put on as many sweatshirts and jackets as we could to dull the blows. <laughs> and then... Just go absolutely and not. I mean, you're you're knocking guys into the hedges, through the hedges, onto the concrete. And to us, that was what football was, right? And so Earl Campbell kind of did that in in live action. Uh, so as though you know, I'm deeply uh, satisfied that the Steelers beat them twice in those two AFC Championship games. But I was always always a big fan of his. I really was too, and I want to talk more about that game. And I want to finish up with the Indianapolis game as well. But this is what this show's all about. And, you know, when you're on a show with Brian Anthony Davis, you're going to jump around <laughs> because that's what I absolutely do. But uh, real quick, so that ball hangs in the air. Yeah. It comes down. I didn't know what was going on. And I called my dad for the last play. This was the first AFC championship. This was the first time I was away from home. I was probably about 23 years old. I had moved to a new town for a radio career. And I was there, so I called up my dad to listen to the last play together. And I'm like, what happened? What happened? Did he catch it? Is it? Did we win? I mean, I had no clue. 
And I got my answer when champagne was running down my head because they picked me as the guy they would pour the champagne over. And it's a wonderful feeling. But man, that champagne stings the eyes. <laughs> I'm telling you, but it's a good sting. Yeah, for sure. That was, you know, that was us. That the, we were, we were pretty high, uh, high up. In that we were in the second bowl uh, at at Three Rivers, and we were actually kind of in the corner of the end zone. We had a pretty good view looking down on it, and you could kind of see the way as the play set up from that angle. That one of the Colts players, I don't remember who it was. But he kind of had like an NBA uh, NBA player going up for a rebound. He had pretty good box out position, and so as the ball's coming down, and you look at that, it is this snapshot moment where you're like, "Oh, this this looks bad, man." He's like, he's in good position to catch this, and then it was just a bunch of bodies going up, and and like you said, man, about a second there where the refs, I don't think, knew what was going on uh, before they made that call. So, you know, it's a, it's incredible how much emotional investment you have in something you have no control over whatsoever, you know, like, I mean, if the Colts, if they somehow come down with that and win that game and go to the Super Bowl, I mean, coming off of the, the Chargers lost the year before, I mean, that's like emotionally devastating and we have no control over these things. And yet we would have been emotionally devastated by them. Let me ask you this. You are a championship winning coach and you in the high school ranks and you just talked about separating it. Is it harder to watch a game than to coach a game because you can try to control more as a coach. Oh, 100%. You know, I, my my parents are wonderful. They're still alive, and you know they they come to they come to uh, our all of our games, and uh, and my dad says all the time, he's like, I don't know how you do it as a coach. He's like, these games are nerve wracking. Our championship game this past year came down to we we had we interception uh, we got an interception on our own two yard line with about 20 seconds left. We were ahead 12-7 uh, to win the game. But as the, the other team took over on, on their own one, we, we tried to put the game away. We're winning 12-7, and we had, uh, you know, fourth and goal at the one, and we went for it and didn't get it. And so now they got about three and a half minutes, and they got to go 99 yards. And they're just moving the ball down the field, so tick, 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 and they're, and they're getting down the field, getting on the and they, they drive down to about our 30, and they wound up throwing an interception at the two, and we kneeled out the clock to win it. But my dad was like, that was so nerve wracking. How, how do you coach in those environments? And I was like, you don't even notice it when you're coaching, you know, like, I, I mean, you're just so invested. There's no time to step back and think about the pressure or, the, or, or what's real, you know, like as a fan, you know, you get up and pace, you walk around. I don't know. I'm a big pacer when I watch games. I don't know how you, how you are. Oh. I, probably, I probably put 10,000 steps on my, uh, you know, yeah, my, it's, um, basically third down two minutes left, um, or when it's a drive and they need to come from behind or they need to stop, I'm up. Everybody in the room is up and we've got one guy that's a major pacer. I'm more of a, more of a rocker when it comes to, I mean, I'll just rock back and forth and I'll even get in position. Like I'm, I mean, I'll just get down and and then I'll do this when the play happens, I have to stop and freeze and wait to see what happened and then I can relax. (laughs) So Kevin, what I want to do here is I want to go ahead and uh, break down the fourth wall and talk about what we talked about um, off camera. I promised you a 40 minute show. We've had some great memories. We're going to get ready to do a second half. Would you like to stick around? I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you like to stick around for the second half and talk about some more memories? Let's do it. 
All right, so we're going to take a break. If you are checking us out on YouTube or Facebook, you know the drill. You just stick around, um, stretch real quick. We're going to be back in five seconds. If you're checking us out on any of the podcast platforms that you download BTSC and all of your favorite podcasts, just go ahead, click over to number two of Tales from 2AM. We'll be back right after this.